And here they come. Louth, O'Brien, O'Neill, Conlon, White, Coleman, Bean, Riley, Cunningham, O'Donnell, Lynch, McDonnell, Rose, Smith, Blood, and me and... Breaks inside to Stephen White. The one man that can do it, and he's done it! A goal for Louth. Paulo Hanlon, a vital touch. Now he's Stephen White to his right. This must be it! It is! I don't believe it! Kildare must be out of the Leicester Championship. At midfield, wearing number eight, the first all-star ever from Louth, would you welcome Paddy Keenan. Arguably the most popular of tonight's winners, Paddy has led from the front for Louth since his championship introduction in 2003. Here's a chance for Rooney! What a goal by J.P. Rooney! And then it happened. Bean sends in from the sideline and Sean Cunningham finishes it at the net. Loud are in front. And here it is. Loud are All-Ireland champions for the third time. There isn't a lot that a commentator uh, like me can say on an occasion like this, looking at those pictures. But what a sad sight, sad, sad, sad sight that is. Yeah, that's unbelievable for it to break out. And the game was over. There's no need for that at all. These are comprehensive winners of the game. But uh, the worst part about it, of course, is uh, not only what the players involved, but people came in off the sideline and also became involved. I think the referee is wasting his time if he's starting to boot players because there are so many people in it. If he wants to put off, he could put off 10 or 11. But... Uh, it's a sad situation. The game is over. I think the best thing the referee could do is blow the whistle. Well, that was quite a disgrace. Quite a disgrace. Quite a disgrace. Quite a disgrace. Hello and welcome to a very special podcast. It's with sport at a standstill and nostalgia dripping from every orifice uh, online. Even Lady uh, put up a load of videos at the moment. You can check them out on their YouTube page. But uh, I thought, why not break down one of the most infamous yet iconic moments in Lady GA history and talk about the knock-on effects from it. And who else better to aid me with a retrospective look than Darren from the far side. Darren, thanks a million for coming on. And please, please, go easy on our Dundalk listeners. Oh, thanks, Dan. Now, listen, I, I've no, no beef at all with the Dundalk lads when it comes to the, the GAA, Dan. Anyone who witnessed the brawl and violence in the drinks carried to the Enterprise after the defeat to Mead in 2006 will... Will know that loud men from north and south they stood firm in the face of me tuggery and as which as usual was just as brutal as it was unprovoked even like i remember seeing a spray tanned woman from Talonstown getting a box off a mead man unbelievable unbelievable stuff <laughs> right right i think that's the flavor of what's to come um i hope nobody gets offended i might, might as well put that in from the start but uh i think we should give before we start, I think we should give people the opportunity to watch it with us, Darren. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Right. So, just a bit of instructions, right? We'll go... Uh, there's two There's two videos on YouTube. The one that gives... The one that slowed down, and we're going to be going through the majority of the footage in, is um, on YouTube. You search Loud Leash Paddy O, and boom, then you have four minutes of goodness there. And then uh, it's slowed down as well. And then the next one... 
um, which is the one we're going to start off with. You type in Loud Leash, Killian M2, all one word, and that shows the fight origins. Um, and it shows how it started, doesn't it? It's like uh, it does. It's it's kind of like the Zapruder film, like in the the JFK assassination. It's, it's very hard to find, but it just shows exactly how how the whole thing kicked off. Uh, right, folks, go ahead, watch it, have a fresh memory. We'll wait. Okay, good stuff. You're back. I hope you enjoyed that. I hope it refreshed the memory. You can also watch along, watch it all along with us as well. We're going to break down the seconds and the minutes um, in the footage. Um, so stay with us, and if not, just listen to it and enjoy the crack. Um, first of all, Darren, what's your um, memories of, of the game? Were you there? Were you at the row? No, unfortunately, no, I wasn't. I'd, I'd gone to the, the Longford game and the Kildare games before that, but uh, my parents probably thinking that Loud being in, uh, that far in Leinster in July was, was just mad, so they booked a, a caravan holiday in Wales, so I, I'd listened to it on the radio from there. <laughs> right, right, right. And what was the reaction on the radio? Was there, like, distraught and disgust? Or? Oh, it was a bit of disgust, you know, these things shouldn't be happening, but sure, like, when you hear that on the radio, you know that everyone's enjoying it, something good is happening, like, something interesting. Right, right, well, for me, it was, I would have heard of it the whole way, like, growing up and what have you, but there was no YouTube, obviously, when I was growing up, so I couldn't get access to actually seeing it. For me, the first time I got a recollection of it, or the impact of it, was uh, the TV show back in the 90s, or maybe the early 90s. Um, Don't Feed the Gondolas with Sean Moncrief. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, I remember that, yeah. And I was in school in Drogheda at the time. And um, actually, we actually got got an Instagram. I pulled it out on Instagram yesterday. Um, anyone want to talk about it? And a couple of people have uh, said something that comes from this video. And it's, 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 it would be nice now to... Um, I suppose put the record straight and it's a case of mistaken identity I was in school with a former loud player and his father keeps getting uh, named, everyone says and someone wrote in, I must actually reply with that, um, someone keeps thinking that it's actually Eugene Judge that comes out onto the field Oh, throws all the haymakers, yeah blues man from your parish and <laughs> I remember uh, Colm saying no it's not me dad, it's not me dad so that was really, it was a real impact. I, obviously, I knew it wasn't him. It was Kevin O'Hanlon. But we, we'll get to Kevin in a second. Okay, we certainly will. <laughs> but, right, so the background is a quick a quick background. Like you said, you're at the Longford game. But the big game before that was, um, I suppose the day draw that was packed, and it's, it's even in my uh, intro at the start, is Stefan White banging the two goals. He got the last, the winning goal with 30 seconds left to play. We beat Kildare and... It kind of came out of nowhere. Obviously, Kader were hotly tipped. Like they were shit hot at the time. We pumped them. Um, They'd Mick O'Dwyer, I think, had recently taken them over. Yeah, and it was all Kildare this, Kildare that. They were going to do the devil and all. And then we pumped them. But it was kind of, yeah, we know Colin Kelly at the time. Colin was injured, so everyone kind of gave us no chance. And then um, we now beat them. And Dublin were gone. Meade had struggled past Wicklow as well and they were in the midst of the, the, the four-in-a-row saga and the first game with Leash was a bit of a tragedy for Loud because uh, any any report I read and spoke to people about this game it's Callahan that takes a portion of the blame uh, he missed a thousand chance the first game against Leash and the second game I suppose second game 
frustrations boil over. But, um, but who, who, who was the key man for laid back then, Darren? Well, I think for me now, the key, the key man was around 1991 was Stephen White, who was just, just truly just a magnificent specimen of humanity. He got this thick shock of kind of teddy boy black hair, receding hairline. He was like, he was the main man. He could score from anywhere and he had a nose for goals that itched whenever he got near the 14 yard line. I suppose like that summer in 91, even mention of Stephen White had wet knickers from Cooley to Cullen. <laughs> White fever had just taken over, do you know? And yeah, I'd heard doing my research for this podcast that Stephen himself, he'd, he'd had a blood test taken up, up the Lord's and the nurse put the vial in the shrine in the Lord's church. And the only other athlete that that's ever been done for was Maradona in Naples. So there you go. Uh, any other research there? Uh, Determined Fecker magazine had run a poll on Loud's Sexiest Man in the summer of 1991. Stephen White came first, 97% of the vote. And uh, Larry Goodman was second. Yeah, there. And I'm too sexy. Uh, is that by right, said Fred? That was that was in around the charts at that time as well, that year as well. I suppose it was. <laughs> but Stefan was he was a serious footballer and a little bit of nostalgia. My favourite footballer growing up as well. I used to want to be Stefan White in the garden. You know, that he he'd come back, he'd he'd done a spell in Monaghan, he would have won an Ulster in Monaghan, came back to play with the clans, he won a couple of championships. He didn't he was beaten in the final in ninety one, the Loud Senior final. But um, that's actually up at the moment as well. Um, but he won it. He did win it in '92. Uh, but a serious footballer, absolutely. He he he's a Wikipedia page, doesn't he? He he does, and um, it's when I was again doing a bit of research. I just I just remembered. I, I set up his Wikipedia page back in 2007. So uh, <laughs> this is a long-standing kind of love affair with with Stephen White uh, that I have her. Yeah, it's been changed completely from what I put up. <laughs> I put up he'd, he'd once scored a point against Mead with a drop kick from 40 yards, which is true, but that's been taken down because of lack of uh, lack of references, or I suppose. Okay. I didn't put it in the match reports. Bastards ripped it out. Yeah. And come here, like, I suppose I haven't watched the video. Uh, I, actually, I actually think I had that loud jersey um, from my for, probably my first loud jersey as well. The, wasn't tight fitted or it wasn't like skin tight or I don't think the fabric was quite breathable. But um, what what do you think? What are you picking up in terms of style? Well, you, you have to remember this was 1991. Like style was, I suppose, it was for people whose more adventurous siblings that emigrated and seen it in the states. Yeah, you know, you, you could tell you could tell how well these people were doing by by the jeans they brought back to the family. You know, like if they had Levi's brought back, they were doing well. If they were Wranglers. The granny probably helped out on the return flights, you know. And if you had Lee, you were probably sending them money, you know. But the jersey, the jersey itself was beautiful. It was that one before they changed it and it had the, the Bridget's cross on it. Yeah. And you can see in the video, like, the jerseys, they were allowed to be kept untuck, untucked. The socks worn low around the ankle. The shorts worn high on the tie, you know, because the game hadn't been feckin' ruined yet by the, the hand passing. So you had greater movement and dexterity of foot there. Boxer shorts... As we all know, they just arrived in Ireland at that point, so there was no dangers of the car. There was a danger of the cameramen being fired for not cutting away quick enough, so the boys kind of get out of the barracks. And I suppose some players like to go commando as a surprise tactic for their marker, but the GAA they soon grew kind of wise to this, and the refs were instructed to check for it when they were inspecting their studs. And those flouting the rules were forced to wear bicycle shorts as a punishment and a shaming mechanism 
which we can see with uh, Seamus O'Hanlon was obviously a repeat offender in this regard. You can see him with the bicycle shorts during the clips. Very fresh face as well, like very like clean shave and very and like no under armor, no like mark. No, no, no. Even even their skin, there's not even a there's not a tat in sight. No, no. Like nowadays, every every Tom, Dickhead, and Harry is one of those sleeve tattoos, you know. But like back then in '91, like people only had tattoos if they're into the heavy metal, if they're in the army, or if they're like a, an armchair RA supporter. Like if a if a priest knew you had a tattoo, you couldn't get communion on the tongue then. You know, <laughs> that's the way it was. And like one of the things I noticed as well, there was no bearded players that day. Like maybe there was on the least team, but not on the loud team. And I find it strange because there was a number of army men in the loud squad. Yeah. I suppose to them, like beards, beards were an insult. You know, one of the one of the most famous lads in the country at the time was uh, IRA's Jerry Adams. And I suppose a number of the squad being from the, the IRA hotspot at Dundalk, it's it's inconceivable that a few of them didn't secretly support beards. Do you know? Yeah, yeah. Be the path of. Well, I suppose maybe there was that sort of like they would have been heavy drinking team as well, so they would have like they would have liked to have fresh faces, or they wouldn't like to get the the creamy point in the beard either. You know, that sort of maybe mentality. Oh, they would, like I wouldn't say a lot of them could be accused of having a skincare routine back then, you know. But maybe with the ex- exception of Stephen White and possibly Fitzer, like you know. Yeah, yeah, true enough. And and what 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 like. What about their their mammies and their their wives? Would 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 they have had an influence back in the nineties, the early nineties? Oh, as always, like I'd say, like they were told beforehand, shave before you go on the TV. Do you know, because in in them days, if you'd facial hair on on RTE, it'd shame a family for a generation. Do you know? Yeah, true Just enough. One thing, and like speak speaking of hair, yeah, men, people looked older back then. Do you know, like. They really sure. did. They really did, haven't they? They, they? they do, like, there's lads there and they're not that old, but they look real old. They look older than they, than they were <laughs> then. Now, it's just, it's weird. I know, like, he, like it was an era, I suppose, when men, they just went bald. Like, there was no shaving of the head. Yeah. None of that messing, you know? And, like, I suppose, like, women, they probably just went wild for the comb-overs. Like, it's probably ingrained in their DNA for, from years of being forced to marry, like, daddy's older bachelor farmer friend with the land. But I suppose it also gave them like a bit of easy practice for patting down hair with the spit long before they had any children. Yeah, yeah. But the half back line—that's a very, that's a very hot, big hot spot there, isn't it? Ah, it is. It is. I suppose when you mentioned bald spots, yeah, it's it's possibly the best example of the three ages of baldness in the country at the time. Like you had, you had Colin McCarraher who'd gone full Willie Torn, didn't care. Stephen Miller was in the tin and phase and probably ignoring it because he couldn't see it. Suppose you don't be looking at yourself, you know, you don't notice it. And then right half back, we had Peter Fitz or Fitzpatrick, who was displaying the kind of hair that one uh, would win elections for middle-aged Fine Gael candidates in the in the aftermath of economic disaster and sporting injustice. So you had the whole the whole gamut. How telling, how telling would that? Yeah, yeah. And there, there was there was no. Um... There was, there was, what would you say? I would say the, this in terms of the game itself. I would say the likes of the facial hair and the lack of moisturizer. It just shows that these were like real men. Like you know, the the key goal that um, it was real manliness that Colin O'Rourke got 
panned over with the last couple of weeks ago. But there was real manliness on show. And like in terms of the game itself, the, the lead up to the, the killer goal, Mick Lawler's killer goal, Pat Butterley tries to nudge his man over the sideline. Jerry Curran's throwing himself into challenges. I would say <laughs> the skill level wouldn't have been as high in terms of technical ability, in terms of picking out a pass. There was a lot of catch and kick and hoof. Um, a lot of like 50-50 football. Um, oh, well, yeah. But these men were barring brawlers. Like, this trench warfare. You know? Like, not, it was like, it, there wasn't any pulling out of tackles or anything. It was no. good. No, and that's probably what probably cost there. They were too manly. Like, they were they were flying at the tackles when they should have just stepped off their man and maybe maybe just held the time to tackle when they're soloing the ball. But they were just a little bit too... Maybe they were just on that massive high after the Kildare win. I think, actually, um, I stand corrected, but I think Jim Gavin's theory um, was... Uh, was developed after this game. He took it to the lab and he worked on it. And he, like I think, Laird actually thought they were going to the Leinster final that year, having beaten Kildare. I think what yeah, happened, the were up. yeah, and they, and they didn't trust the process, as what Jim would elaborate to and refer to on numerous occasions. Like they never got going at all. Obviously, Colin Kelly wasn't there, massive loss. Then Cottle slides off early on in the game as well. And then there's just this sort of emotional combustion that's like it's it's. It's Eben, and you'll hear the commentator say, oh, it's a dirty game the whole way. You just see kind of mentally that Laird didn't think they were going to be beaten and they were beaten. And uh, it's just it's just that theory of everything not going right for you and then they, they get the rub of the green and then just just that spark is needed. And That's it. That's it. Like even in, in we did a, a horse racing thing for this year's uh, Fireside calendar. And one of the horses is called Second Half Loud Collapse. So I suppose it's kind of in the, it's ingrained in our memory. Like, you know, something will go wrong. Like the lads will just, they'll mess it up somehow. Somehow it just won't work. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think this is why uh, this game is probably very iconic for loud teams going forward. But uh, right, we'll we start with the footage of, um, on Killian, uh, Killian M2. We'll, uh, we, we, I think we, we'll play it. Darren, and we, we'll, we'll kind of commentate over. I'll turn down the sound. Out. But as, as it begins, um, do you want to do you want to start? Leash player Martin Dempsey. Yeah, so you have you can see the leash player Martin Dempsey. He's, he's coming out with the ball on the edge of the square, and Stephen White just comes in and just digs him hard in the ribs. Now Dempsey tries to clear, but you can see Leo McGuigan. He completes this move with his shoulder, and both men they just fall over to the ground. Now. As you can see, a leash defender, he's obviously seen what Stephen White did, so he's barged into Stephen White. Yeah. He then goes backwards over the pair onto the ground. Now, the leash man has just bounced off White and onto the ground. He's immediately set upon by Pat Butterley, who just drops the ball and fucking launches himself at him from a standard position. Yeah. Quick right, followed by a left to the leash man's thought oven. Now, Butterley quickly regains his feet. This is this is a man who obviously is... Who's, doled out a few digs in his time. He knows that if you're on the ground in a fight, you're as good as a gas goose, Daniel. Yeah, 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 exactly. And then also what I what I what I picked up as well is just before that in the in the round, everyone's kind of all they're all squaring up to each other, nothing even happens. I don't know who it is. I can't get his number and I've tried to look at the footage. But there's this golden leash man who just doesn't have things at all. He's the two mm-hmm. arms up high and he's mounting at Stefan and you don't mate at Stefan. You, no, you don't mate at Stefan. No. You know, 
even yeah, he's just infuriating me even looking at him. And then there's pointing James O'Hanlon's pointing at him. Just just yeah, I suppose he's picking it out and then the leash keeper comes out then, doesn't he? He does, he does, and he, he dives on top of his stricken colleague. He's kinda of like put himself between his teammate and the attacker, which is laudable. He's kinda of like a mammy protecting her child from a wild dog on a quiet anagasin road. Do you know? Like he's got that motherly protective instinct. Uh, which I'm not sure all leashmen um, possess. I don't know any leashmen, to be honest. But then we can see a uh, big bicycle short of Seamus O'Hanlon wading in. But he's he's pulled off rather too easily with one hand by some some leash player with Mikasa gloves on. And then he falls over Leo McGuigan, who was trying to get up, having found himself on the ground again. And it's just beginning to turn into a bit of a fast. Do you think the... Would you, would you agree? Do you think the Mikasa gloves maybe had an had an effect? Like, well, you had those kind of little beautiful little rubber rubber balls that gave an extra purchase, and they probably just were able to give him enough grip to rip Seamus off balance. Rip skin. Yeah, could could rip skin. We've all had that. Rip the hairs off your arm, it would. Yeah, yeah, the back of your head as well. So, like, I would say. Um, yeah, right, right. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll wait, actually. We'll move on now to the... Move on to the... If you're following at home, move on to the patio, paddy, uh, the loud leash patio one. And, uh, yeah, let's just turn down the volume a little bit on that. And, yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. For, it's number four for leash really annoyed me as well. But I was I was initially surprised at Seamus Mellonis. Um, maybe we'll give, actually, the lineup of the key the key components here. Um, 15 is Nicholas Brown. 19, Big Cooley Man, Fintan Murphy. 14 is Stefan, obviously. Pat Bortoli's 10. Brendan Cairns, Marty, is 11. Um, Seamus O'Hanlon is 8. And Leo McGuigan, another Cooley Man, is number 12. So they're the key men in the row. Um, the least trainer at the time, I think that was Matt Connor. He would have been... Uh, he's a brother of the famous Connor. Um, I can't think of his name at the moment. I'm talking about Offaly Footballer. Um, Okay, so he, he's, the, he's the guy who comes on now, Daniel, to, to ca- help calm, calm down the handbags. Cal, yeah, in fairness to him, don't know if he's, I don't know if uh, Richie's watching, Richie Connor's watching, but he, he does try and calm it down. He's actually, he's all over the shop organising, lads. Um, they're actually all walking away. It looks to be gone. But to me, the main man who's the firecracker and all this is uh, the Bannon's finest. And like, in ter- which is strange because... Stabana would have had a lot of very, like, obviously agricultural hard men, big men. And Pat would have been known as this, the, the slighter player, this, the more skillful, flamboyant player. And maybe, well, he definitely was. But uh, Pat is the firecracker. He runs up behind number seven, Eamon Lacey. And he gives him a farewell, don't I? I'd say, I'd say he's still claiming whiplash on that one. <laughs> I'd say so. I'd say so, and and you can't blame. I think it's Lacey who just he just responds. He just turns around and belts him with a with a right to the to the brain casing, which is parried. But he follows through with a left elbow and and just floors Butterly. Yeah, Eamon Lacey's some man now. In fairness to him, he he he, he was he gave as good as he got. Um, no, he, he did. I think maybe was Butterly a bit like kind of like Johnny Giles. He was a bit slight and skillful, but he could dole it out when it came yeah, to it. Like. Yeah, he probably had to like in training and stamina. Like you know, you have to stand up for yourself in your corn. You know, <laughs> yeah, definitely. But but uh, yeah, and then Brendan Cairns, um, 
comes in. The two of them are the two of them are going for this is what thirty seconds in. Brendan Cairns, what a tag team. Uh, oh. Brendan Cairns and James O'Hanlon just beating the head off of uh Pummeling the, the leash number nine. Yeah, yeah. Where, yeah. Uh, Maher, Tony Maher. Tony Maher, yeah, like he must have been bruised the fuck after that, like you well, know? He did because he played in. He played into the melee. He, he did play in and like he was asking for trouble and trouble is what he got, you know. And like if, if we look down at just around 29 seconds in, it's, it's one of my favourite bits. Stephen White just comes flying in with a dig on, on this flailing leash midfielder. And then he just turns sharply and just he just starts throwing fists, windmilling. And, I, like, think, this, I think he actually hits one of his own players. He may well do, but that's collateral damage, like we all know. Before Brandon Cairns starts kicking, but I think Brandon Cairns is the only man who kicks in this row for loud. Um, if, if, like, uh, you know, well, there's respect with the loud men, Daniel. Like, you can yeah. see if you if you look at the footage in slow motion further on, there's leash lads and they're kicking. You know, like loud yeah. lads, like no, we'll, we'll, this is fair. We'll we'll fist this out, but the leash men, no, nah, no, nah. too near hurling counties, I think. Yeah, yeah, you, you said it. Um, but uh, the camera, what the the camera kind of comes out now. Pat Bortoli, you you reckon he's on? This, he's in trouble, is he? he? Well, he's out number three to one, and it looks like he's been viciously beaten by the least players. Not that he shows it. You know, he's just taking blows. He's like Rocky. You know, he's just he doesn't care. He's like, yeah, you can hit me all you want. I'll rope it up and I'll come back ready to go again. I think at least that least trainer you were talking about comes in and just tells his men to. To lay off him, you don't know what this guy's like. He'll he'll yeah. get the trees. He started it. He wants to finish the row, you know. <laughs> he does. He does. And then my 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 most underrated man in the whole row uh, is Nicholas Brown. He is. Yeah. He's. If if we go on to maybe thirty five seconds in. Yeah. Yeah. We pan back. We're in the main melee again. It, yeah. And Nicholas is in the is in the. Um, Nicholas is in the gloves and Jerry Corrin's behind him. And uh, sorry, I think it's actually that's Tony Marr, number eight, and number nine is Dempsey. Just okay. to I think I might have mixed them up earlier on. But yeah, Nicholas Brown is furious. He is, he's furious, and he's just he's windmilling them like and is it is Jerry Curran is trying to say, Come on, yeah. like, you know, leave it let, let it alone, Nicholas, let it alone. But like Nicholas is just he's furious. Now, I don't know too much about Nicholas. Who was he playing for, Daniel? He was with the Geraldines at that time. But in fairness to, to Jerry Curran, he was calm. He was, trying, he was trying to calm the whole thing down. And he innocently, innocently got a slap. like Because it, it, the worst thing in a row, well, I might have been in one or two rows myself, but you're always, you're always best going for it. And then what, what, what tends to happen is, and it happens Murphy later on, like, and like Jerry Curran, he's standing there and he's trying to split it up. He's trying to see sense. He's actually holding Nicholas back because he knows what Nicholas is going to do. And then he ends up getting a slap off Matter for his troubles. And in his desperation, he ends up on his two knees, Jerry. He does. It's quite comical. It is. And one of the, the unfortunate things that back in those days, there weren't multiple cameras because you can see him yeah. get back up and he's sprinting after someone. He's, he's fucking blood is boiling. He's going to kill someone. But we, we don't know what happened. You wouldn't mess with you wouldn't mess with Jerry Corrin actually, big Jerry. Oh yeah. No, yeah, big man. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then your a, a colleague and a, a comrade, a clan's comrade, Fitzar is makes his first appearance. He does. He's been kind of hovering around the 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 fringes of things, 
Um, I suppose he, he would have had to come from the right half-back position um, to make his way across to, to the melee. But he finds himself close to the action. And he's, you can see him there at around 44 seconds in, walloping a leash man before being easily swatted away, I suppose it has to be said. And then he just he scarpers away. Yeah, yeah, uh, gets gets in, gets out of there, you know. Uh, it must be pointed out, actually, um, Steve Amelia, uh, God rest him, he just shows this character here throughout this whole row. Like he, he um, he's he, he's disgusted by it. Um, Colin McCarr as well beside them. Yeah, they're just kind of standing around the, the half back line in their magnificent baldness. Yeah, like Stephen was a pure gentleman. Like the way he carried himself, he, even in a in a pure red hot row with all mayhem, like stools being broken over lads' heads. Seamus or Stephen is keeping his cool. So that's a testament to the man. Yeah, I'd say if it hadn't gone on any longer and there was any more casualties, like he was fresh for the battle. If if need if he needed to be called on, he was yeah. there. But he knew he knew how to control himself. Yeah, yeah, you said it. Um, and then I suppose uh, it's it looks like Seamus is taking on ten and fifteen. Yes, he's 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 taken on a couple of lads on his own. He's it, it's taken him a while to be. To be riled up, as you were saying, you were a bit surprised at his mellowness earlier. But I suppose the longer you poke the dragon or poke the bear, you know he's eventually gonna he's gonna wake up and start start haymakering. Do you see the really looking at that? He's serious left hook. He does. He oh, does. Sorry, left jab because he's just jabbing lads with the left when he was expecting the big right hand to come. Maybe he's left-handed. I don't know. But he's just jabbing the head off lads here with, with the left hand. And he's he's probably one of the few that is landing really, really clean, beautiful punches. <laughs> he is, he is. He's 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 doling out pain, you know, like that that leash room, the, the medic must have been just worked overworked at the end of this game with the amount of cuts and bruises he must have been patching up from Seamus's fists. And cosmetic surgery as well. I think that was the birth of it. In terms of patching up these leash men and like I, I don't know if you can ever uh, plastic surgery it. A leash man into beauty, though, Daniel. Let's not <laughs> getting ahead of there. But uh, maybe they were looking for cosmetic surgery to get the face tumped off them to make them look look more at home. I don't know. I don't know. But, I don't know. Uh, I don't know many many leash men now, or I don't know any. But uh, does any listening? No, no um, offense is intended. Um, uh, we've we've a fair few potato face loud men in in. North Loud as well, so you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and like, do you think Seamus needs help at this point? I think he's oh. he's doing all right, but do you know who knows if he was he tiring? He could have been tiring, like. And I think at this stage, someone who knew him really well would know the signs if he's tiring. Yeah. And know, know when to come in and act, I suppose. And Darren, do you know in '91 what the um, what the number one box office movie was at the in that year? I don't. I was it? No, I don't. Well, uh, I... Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? Come with me if you want to live. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah. Kevin obviously seen it the night before. Yeah, he, he, ro- he rolled onto the pitch. <laughs> See Seamus in trouble. Uh, he probably seen Seamus in trouble and thought, if there's anyone going to beat Seamus, it's me. You know what I mean? You can't, like, 
you can only imagine the rows those lads had in the in the room in the house in the lock. You know, well, that, well, that's it. Like if anyone has the rights to bragging rights, you know, you Seamus is, he has bragging rights at this moment. He is like, look, lads, I was the lad out there. There's three of us in this. I'm the only one doling out punches. Where is that? Cahill, by the way. Oh, went off. Calls uh, went off early. I think he went off in the eighth minute. Ah, okay. So you wouldn't know where Carl is. Like, he, would you say he's even still in the ground, or would you would he have gone home in the Lamborghini? Or, or? <laughs> he he might well have been gone home in, in the Lamborghini, all right, because unless he was like strapped down or, or in a coma, like he he should have been out there, you know, defending his brother. That that's what I think anyway. That's what I would do, you know. If my brother was stricken, I'd be out there, you know. I'll have, to find I'll have to find out. I'll have to find out. I'll have to find out when next time I see him, or maybe I'll maybe I'll probably avoid him. But uh, yeah, so both feet left the ground. In, in the way I look at Kevin when he makes his introduction, like the two of them are off forty-five seconds in. Yeah, no, it's 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 a it's just a beautiful, a beautiful sight. You can see him coming on. He's in the tracksuit. Yeah, this is where people thought it was Eugene Judge. Sorry, it, but it's not Eugene. It's Kevin O'Han, and I can identify. It's Ke- big Kevin. And I suppose you can see why people may maybe thought it was Eugene Judge. He's kind of kind of tall as well. Uh, yeah. Same physique, I think. Um, kind of kind of a bit languid there, but uh, yeah, he's coming on. He's in his tracksuit, and he's just he's gone balubas. He's he's just hitting anything that moves. And if you pause it there, between around fifty and fifty-five, and yeah. just let it play, it's just it's beautiful. You could put it to opera music. Do you know, might do that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's like they're too. Oh yeah, the ballet in there. They're just they're so in sync. Fair, that's that's Lacey again. Like he loved he loved punishment that chap. <laughs> but yeah, like and if, if you look there, like fifty one seconds in, you can see, like O'Hallan, he's been pursued by a number of the leash men, and they're just eager for more punishment. I don't know why they're going after him. But he takes up this boxing stance and he's just doling out days all in sundry, like he's a social welfare officer doling out the dole over in Port Leash. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, which in the early 90s probably was, yeah, it was the case. Well, you would have been busy anyway, you know. And then we go back and it's kind of, is it a Cooley Man? Cooley Man in a row is, uh, yeah, yeah. He's feasting on uh, number seven, Leo McGuigan. He's Leo sees an opportunity to sit to have a chat in the beer on the beer afterwards. Saying, like, at this stage, it's thinning out the row, and lads want to be like they want to say, "Yeah, I was in." What did you do in the row? Where the fuck were you? And then Leo sees his opportunity. But that yeah, and he just he just dives in there like he's he's obviously fancies himself with his surname McGuigan as a boxer thinks he's Barry and he just arrives in. So <laughs> so I think is it is it Kevin who's knocked down the Kevin O'Hanlon's knocked down a a leashman and he just comes in. He's knocked down lazy. He's just coming in to finish him off. And is there anything as as proud uh, as as finishing off a man when he's when he's underground stricken to just come in and, and launch yourself at them. Yeah well that's the pressure was on there to make like, to make sure you're Involved. This is like they probably knew as well. This is going to make me national coverage. You know, they probably wanted to be involved and be seen to do something. You know, that's true. And and like while he's on the ground, the two of them are kind of scrappling, and Brendan Kieran's comes over and yeah. is just 
he's just taking blows. And I'm not sure what he's trying to do. He's kind of reaching over McGuigan. And he's just, the lads are there kicking and everything. And he's just taking blows and not really, not really doling anything out, I suppose. No, I don't know. He's probably got sense. He's probably used up all his, uh, used up all his weapons. And he probably, probably has to, probably has to just like calm it down. I don't know. Maybe he knew the suspension rules or if you go over a quota of digs in a row, you'll get done. But he, he looked to be a peacekeeper and then, in comes the main man again, Stefan. Yeah, Steph, Stefan's come in there and uh, he's just, he just wants it. He wants, it looks like he wants it more than anyone aside from Kevin O'Hanlon. He just, he wants the dole. Like maybe it was the penalty kick. Was it a penalty he missed in that game? Uh, uh, penalty saved, yeah, yeah. Penalty saved. He had a bit of rage in him. Um, he wanted to, to dole it out maybe. Uh, but yeah, he, he just comes flying in. And I think, is this when himself comes in, Mr. Fitzpatrick. Yeah, Fitz is there, all right, yeah, yeah. Now you can see, I suppose, at the top at the top right of the screen, you can see uh, Yes, yeah, just yeah, I see it, yeah, yeah. I see the arm cocked, all right. Yeah, he's coming in unseen and and gives a sneaky sneaky punch to the back of the leashman's head. And like the leash man is completely blindsided. You wouldn't expect that from Fitzpatrick. I suppose you wouldn't expect it from Fitzpatrick, much like the thousands of innocent voters didn't expect from the right half back in the days before the 2015 general election either, do you know? So he has a history of just coming in out of nowhere and just hitting people with stuff. Peter, don't give out to me. Don't be mad at me now for that. Colm <coughs> um, O'Rourke actually is... Uh, you can you can hear him coming in. You can't not but hear it. He's uh, I suppose the rare is Peter and out, and all you can hear is is Colin O'Rourke. He's the co-commentator. Um, yeah, he would he would actually play again at least the following month. So I thought it was a week, but it's a month. Um, yeah, lads. Are, yeah, what do you think? They're they're kind of this. It's it Peter's out, doesn't it? It does Peter out, and you're right. You can hear O'Rourke. Um, He's like sermonizing as if he'd never retaliated before being provoked in his life. Do you know, this is a man that was playing for that me team who just like were one of the, the most thuggish teams no need for that around at, at the time. Brilliant as well. Let, me not, let us not forget a brilliant team, but dirty bastards too. No need for that at all. You know, so to hear him saying it's, it's not what we need to be seeing is just ridiculous. No need for that at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. It was a, it was a Rock's first year as an analyst. Was it? The fucker, yeah. And it was he, And like, obviously he knew he was going to be playing again at least the following month. So he wasn't going to give them any fuel, like, was he? Was he was for scumbags. Uh, so he lays into us, softens the leash up, sneaky no cock, and then they beat them in the, least of, in the Leinster final. Handy enough. You know? Well, those, like, the dark arts are not just confined to the, to the field, as we know. You know, there's a lot of sledging done off the field, and as you're saying, buttering up the leash lads, thinking they're great by the Mead fellas. So, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise me. And then Kevin Lee, the the camera's very quick to to give Cam, uh, Kevin a solo kind of a solo frame shot on of, of <laughs> going off the field to the the. Brian Adams single was not um, anything I do or do it for you. That was number one all summer. So 
might just play that music now. So sad yeah. and disturbing. So sad and disturbing scenes, says Michael Lester. It's slowed down if you want to click on and look at look at the whole lot, but um, I think we've given you enough there. But um, yeah, so the immediate aftermath, Darren, it wasn't good. Um, like Kevin got a three month ban, which is a disgrace. And he, but I suppose maybe he used the time wisely, did he? Well, I'd say he used it all right to to audition for for the, the United Nations. Um, he he was in the army, I think, and he he'd been on a few two different tours of duty. So he, he was a tough man. But if you have three months off, sure, you might as well polish up and use use your your skills for for uh, an organisation that would really really appreciate them. You know, like a lot of people talk about peacemakers with the UN. But you do need people who've been in wars and in, in tough battles. And Kevin O'Hannon clearly showed there that he was a man that could understand both sides. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like, so you know, he, he has a big, he has that, but he got that gig. It's a big job for the UN. Like, we're not actually making this up, even though it sounds like it is. That's one bit of no good of truth in this. That, uh, yeah, he, he works for the UN now in New York, no less, protecting. Um, all the leaders around the world. So, yeah, de- deputy chief of staff, <coughs> deputy chief of security at the UN. Yeah, like you know, obviously, like obviously, who's bigger than Kevin? He's really running the show, you know. He is keeping definitely people safe. No, fair play to him. Fair play to him. I just, I'd love to think that in the final round of those interviews, um, he just went in front of the interview board, you know, and dimmed the lights and just hit play on on the on the video player they would have had at those stages, no DVDs, and just said. That's me, lads. Anything that happens coming over, you can count on me. I'll just wade in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, yeah, if anyone's in trouble, he just pretends it's Seamus or Carl. Yeah, yeah, and they'd be, they'd be safe. I'd, I'd trust them. I would too. Um, in the following year, we beat Leash. So we did we did inflict revenge the following season. But um, the year after that, 93, they fucking beat us again. But... Um, the GEA was dying in, in, in the early 90s, Darren. You know that? It was uh, like Italian 90 fever. There were all soccer heads going around. And they were they, they were the number one game in the country, even in the countryside as well. So they reckon that the um, the Mead four-game saga with Dublin's <coughs> GEA in terms of money and profile and drama. I think that's bollocks. Because like, they got did five grand each um, taken from Laird and Leash for that brawl. Like... Think of it, you'd know. Massive. I think they probably built a new Hogan stand on the back of it alone. They did, they would have, like, and I've just looked it up there, like, adjusted for inflation, like, that's that was roughly double now what it, what it would have been then. But this this was before the Celtic Tiger, and there wasn't a lot of money floating around in the country. So, you know, like, that, those fines would have been, I don't know, roughly about the same as a, a church collection in the parish in Drada for a weekend. So it was big money. Big, big money. Massive money at the time, and like we, yeah, I suppose you could put that down to us saving the GEA. Um, look, we let, we let me in Dublin think Dublin probably took most of the money anyway. Well, it was probably another home game for them, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. uh, loud manager at the time, Frank Lynch. I've um, poor Frank wanted to um, set the record straight. I have actually, I've actually a quote here from Frank. Um, I never sent out a loud team to play a negative game and stop the other team playing. I believe that you should try and go out and win the game in your own ability with your own ability to play. So that was Frank. He was he he, he 
He, he this is a quote he he says after the game, and then later on, would you believe, Darren, there was a letter sent to the Loud County Board, signed by Amelia, of course, um, apologising to to the Leinster not only to the Loud Sports and the team management, but to the Leinster Council. The letter yeah. especially apologised to the county manager Frank, and he made and to make it clear as well, what was in it was, we were not instructed nor indeed intended, getting involved in any foul play. So there you have it. That, that's that's amazing that, that 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 letter was written. Like you know, how, how come Mead never were made write a letter like that? Do you know, after all their crimes over the years, I I find that flabbergasting. They probably can't write. Darren. <laughs> you might get in trouble for that now, Daniel. Right, right. Uh, yeah. If any any Mead people are listening, great to have you. I don't know how you found us here. On my cousins. Um, where are where? Right, so. We we we'll go through we we'll go through the lineup before we kind of finish. Uh, like we've give we've given um, where Kevin is now. We might as well give a couple of others. Jerry Farrell is uh, was the only member the goalie that day. Thanks to Jamie, his son, for giving me a lot of info on this. He uh, Flogger was the only team to make the loud team of the millennium. Not only right. played on this, yeah, in the, yeah. There was uh, the team of the millennium. Obviously, was in two thousand and. There was no team and there was no other player bar Jerry on it for 30 years. Wow. David Riley, right full back, socks pulled up ahead of his time. Um, his son Paddy played for years. David Daisy Mulligan, full back. Very stylish player, actually, when you look at the clips. For, for a full back, he could sidestep, which is really a rarity, a delicacy back then. <laughs> and Martin Morgan, cornerback, he was chasing after Lawler. He's still a part of the Jocks backroom team. Fitzer, you you know anything about Fitzer where he went, Darren? Uh, he went fairly quiet after that, and then sure was he kind of parachuted in after the economic disaster for Fine Gael and has got in three times now, three um, times. Yeah. representing the, the good people of Dundalk and and Laird and East Mead as well, uh, allegedly. Um, <laughs> Steve Amelia is was number six that day. Poor. Stephen is no longer with us, but he, he 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 continued to serve on for Loud for a long time. He won a Joe Ward when he was 44 in 2006, which was brilliant for the whole county. Um, he was trainer alongside Paddy Clark in his eras as well. Colin McCarroher as well, Cooley man, another Cooley man on this team. Um, Colin, uh, I think he had a bad accident last year, but he's still a uh, main man around Cooley. Um, Seamus O'Hanlon. His son Shane is still playing around. He's a, he writes a great column in the Drawhead Independent. Um, and John Osborne, Toker man, he's a couple of sons that play out in Toker as well. John doesn't feature that heavily. I oh, know he's taken off with Jerry Curry, Curran in that row, luckily for Leash. <coughs> Pat Curry, <laughs> Brendan Cairns, um, two, uh, two, two lads that are involved with the bank as well. Um, so they're ambitious men off the field as well as on it. Um, Leo McGuigan, He's, uh, I think he was on the 20 selector recently as well, from Cooley. Um, Cotla Hanlon, he'd be on the managerial circle around Loud as well. I think he's in the bank also. Um, Stephen White, he'd probably well known to everyone. Um, LMFM and that, I think he's based up the north. Um, but he was some player, like we keep saying. Nicholas yeah. Brown from the Jairus and the Moxes. Fintan Murphy, Cooley man. Fintan, you'd see, was massive. Actually, Fintan gets an awful jab on the, on the bottom of the jaw. And he's actually, you could see him actually holding his jaw in the middle of it. He was the only one that showed pain that day. 
Well, if he, if he had had a beard now, that some of that blow might have been deflected so much, you know. Yeah, true enough. He, but he was funny. You mentioned the beard because they tried. He was Loud's uh, answer to trying to manufacture him. Frank was trying to manufacture him into the equivalent of Palmer Liston. Right. Where? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jerry Curran as well. He came in. Big Jerry uh, sons Robbie and Jerry Junior as well. Two good footballers for the clans. Alan O'Connor, twenty-three. Joe's player. Um, we talked with Kevin already. I think that's it. Uh, who would you rank? Who would you if you're going to pick three players? Who would you Who would you rank in the top three, Darren? For, for of that team. Yeah, to fight. To fight. Yeah. Uh, well, you Kevin O'Hanlon. You can't just go to three O'Hanlon brothers. <laughs> well, I go Kevin O'Hanlon, and I take I take Fitzer because you need you need a bit of. Bit of sneakiness in a fight, do you know? Like an honest, an honest man never never wins all the fights, so you'd need a bit of that. And not that Fitz is not honest, but I'm talking in a, you know, hitting someone in the back of the head and running away kind of way. So Fitz or uh, Kevin O'Hanlon, and I definitely I take Stephen White because he's just he's in there, he's everywhere, he wants to get involved, he's showing great enthusiasm, and he keeps coming back for more. Who would you go for? Um, I think I think Seamus is the main man. I'd have him ahead of Kevin. I know Kevin shows an awful lot, but when you break it down, I think Seamus Seamus is landing an awful lot. Um, I'd have I'd have Jerry Curran in there, another member of the Clans Mafia, um, just for a sure pure endeavour. Um, and I like to cut Nicholas Brown's jib as well. Wasn't afraid of it. Wasn't afraid. To, wasn't afraid to throw. Like, yeah, um, yeah. That's 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 who I'd have. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, another thing in Kevin O'Hanlon's uh, defence, he'd be able to use his peace brokering skills after it to calm things down. You know, so that's another plus in his in his. Uh, that if he, I mean, as he hadn't like finished everybody off before that, if there was still people standing and he was beaten, he'd be able to use those skills to negotiate a settlement. Sure enough, sure enough. Um, suppose, um, like, there's some, like what I would say from this is a ton of what ifs. There is. Like obviously, we get through that game. We there was an easy on Ireland for us, like in '91. And it was set up like you look who lead who Mead went through to get there. Like they struggled, struggled past Wicklow. And who was it they beat in the final? Was it someone like Offaly or? Oh, it was Leash. It was Leash to beat Leash in the final. Oh yeah, of course they would have. But then Ross Common and Down. So it was wide open all Ireland. Like Down hadn't won it for. A long time, or was it the first ever? Even no, it wasn't the first ever. It was the first time since the sixties. Um, mm. they, ne- they, they never, they never, they were never beaten in a final. But like, we would have dominated for years to come if we beat them. We really would have. Like, like subsequent semi-finals after that, we lost Leinster semi-finals 92, 94, 96, 97, 98. Fuck me! Like, if we, if we beat Leash that day. Um, we'd have won those semi-finals easier with that confidence and that experience with us. You know, knowing how to, to finish out the game. Yeah, yeah, and then everyone else would have known how to finish out the game as a result after that. And then in in uh, Meads, Mead kind of grow and grow, and even the under twenty one team beat us in ninety six. That wouldn't have happened. They wouldn't have won the All Ireland again in ninety six. We would have won another All Ireland with all those all those players off that team, the likes of Ollie McDonald and. Brenner and Christy, uh, Declan Sullivan, all those players, Stano. So they came into that team 
Like just just domination there for a lot for was, on the yeah. pitch anyway. It was a good conveyor belt, and and even off the pitch, like that, like Mead's legacy, cultural legacy from that team is is as traumatic for a lot of people as the football, like because you have columns, you have was a was a Bernard Flynn writing his columns and Liam Hayes writing their columns and yeah, yeah. like well, well, O'Rourke loses his job straight away. He's gone, binned. He's gone. So that's thirty years gone. Like, she, who's to say Seamus O'Hanlon wouldn't have taken now? Colin Kelly. Well, Colin Kelly would have t- probably taken Flynn's radio gig and the mirror column. Um, oh, definitely. And, and I see uh, possible, like, the, the, the opportunities for, for like, a, a man as, as good-looking and talented as Stephen White, like, you could have had, you know, a kids' TV show, possible aftershave deal. Yeah. Know, oh, places, you know, could have been opening up petrol stations, that kind of thing. Him yeah, like Stephen Mealy would have been lauded nationwide. David Riley takes Robbie O'Malley's All-Stars, you know. It's I'm probably player of the year as well. So, it's yeah, it's a massive fucking what-if. And it, it kind of moulded a merely generation. Like, it came from the 14-yard line under the shadows. 14-yard line in front of the hill under the shadows of the Hogan stand. Um, Darren from the far side, thanks very much. Thanks for going through that with me. Oh, thank you, Daniel. Um, you can catch Darren on the far, far side at the F-A-S-I-D-E on Twitter and Facebook. Get him there. And you're on, are you on Instagram as well? On Instagram, yeah, at far side. Um, yeah, really, Darren does really great stuff, very humorous. Even if you're from Dundalk, you can get you can get his humor as well. Um, really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed going through that with you, Darren. No, likewise. It was a pleasure. If you have any other suggestions we could go through, send them in to myself or Darren um, on Twitter. But uh, thanks very much and stay safe. Uh, hope you enjoyed this. Hope you, Hopefully it stifled the boredom and the, the Leo lockdown and you got you through it. And there'll be more to come. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. Follow Loud and Proud on SoundCloud, Facebook, Twitter and Instagram as well. Peace out. Quite a disgrace. Quite a disgrace. Look into my eyes. You will see what you mean to me. Quite a disgrace. Such a Quite a disgrace. Such a Quite a disgrace. There isn't a lot for the commentator uh, like me can say. These are comprehensive winners of the game.
she'd be on the floor shaking what she'd got. Man, when I tell you she was cool, she was red hot. I mean, she was steaming. And that time over at Johnny's place, well, this chick got up and she slapped Johnny's face. Man, we just fell about the place. If that chick don't want to know, forget her. Yeah. 